It was my first time taking one of our boys to the doctor by myself. It was a pre-COVID world. We sat down, the place was packed. It was a busy flu season. As I'm sitting there talking to my son, all of a sudden I heard it and I felt it at the same time. A kid sitting next to me sneezed all over my arm. I was looking around for tissues. There were none. I went over and I found the hand sanitizer station and started taking a bath in hand sanitizer, rubbing it all over. Then even though I'd previously looked for tissues and hadn't found any, I thought perhaps a second glance, some would magically appear that would be helpful in drying off the arm I had just bathed in hand sanitizer, as well as to deliver some to the child's mother who had seated next to me and sneezed all over my arm. Went in to the doctor and got a good report. On the way home, I called my wife because she wanted to know how the doctor's visit went. I said, it wasn't good, Brooklyn. It wasn't good. I said, why? I should have prefaced that in hindsight. Maybe like everything's great with our kid, but it wasn't a good visit. Didn't do that. So there was a little bit of panic in her voice. She's like, why? What's wrong? I'm like, a kid sneezed on me. She's like, okay. I'm like, no, it is not okay. Some random child I have never met before and hope to never come across again because apparently he doesn't know how to cover a sneeze, sneezed all over my arm. Now, I'm not a germaphobe. I will gladly shake somebody's hand or give them a hug if they want a hug. I'm, I'm not a germaphobe. I don't need you to sneeze all over me, though, all right? I, that's kind of where I draw the line. Some random kid, like, sneezing all over me. She goes, well, how old was he? Like, I know. I don't want to generalize all men. I don't. But, I mean, I don't think most of us really can take a gander at a child and be like, yeah, that one's about 19 months. Like, we have no idea. And when does the month thing end, really? Because beyond one, could we just call them one or two? We really, because then we have to start doing addition in our heads. It just gets ugly. You know, addition, division, it's just, it's too complicated. Let's just go to the years after the age of one, please. So I'm like, I don't know. All I know is this kid sneezed all over me. To which my loving wife replied, it is a doctor's office, Brian. Where would you like the sick kid to be? I really hate it when she has a good point. <laughs> I really, really hate it. But she's right. I was at the doctor, which is where the sick kids need to go. This morning, we're going to start a look at the New Testament book of James. It's, it's the earliest letter in the New Testament. And we're going to be looking at how James was written to a bunch of people who just made the decision to follow Jesus, and how as a result of that, their lives were in process, as all of our lives, for those of us who've made the decision to follow Jesus, should be. That when we make the decision to follow Jesus, it starts the process of God making us more and more like Him, and less and less like ourselves. Now, some people who don't understand church, or some people who are hostile to the idea of church, they generally go to one of two criticisms. The first being that, oh, the church is nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. Maybe you've thought that. Maybe you currently think that. The church is nothing but a bunch of hypocrites, because I know so-and-so, and I know they're part of that church, and I know what their life's like. 
I know they're all about God on Sundays, but I know, I know what they're really like. The second main objection to people who don't understand church is that it's just some elaborate scheme to, to build people out of money, and that this is all just a giant elaborate scheme trying to steal people's money. But those are the two main criticisms that people who aren't part of the church and don't understand what the church is all about will levy against the church. And to the first, I just want to say in some regards to the fact that the church has a bunch of hypocrites in it, you're absolutely right. And it should. Because this is a place, the church, and the church must be a place where everyone is welcome. The church must be a place where everyone, regardless of where they are in their spiritual journey, whether they've made the decision to follow Jesus or haven't yet come to that point, or whether they've been following Jesus for over 50 years, where everyone is welcome. And understand the point of the church is to move people into a relationship with Jesus and then further into that relationship with Jesus. And so none of us are finished. None of us are done. We are all works in progress. And that's what this life has always been about. It's about us being in progress, us becoming more and more like Jesus, understanding that all of us have further room to go. But as we follow Jesus, our lives need to change. Our lives need to change, and our lives should look more like Jesus. So if you have your phones or your tablets, I'd invite you to follow along with us this morning as we're going to start our look at James. It's, you can follow along in the Bible app if you've downloaded that app. If you haven't yet, I'd highly encourage you to do so. Just go to the app store of your choosing, type in Bible. It's the first one that pops up. Once you download it, you can either enable locations or you can type in the zip code 54201 and you can go to the events feature. There you'll see Lakeside Community Church, and you can follow along with us today as we start our look at James in James 1, beginning of verse 1, where we read these words. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Now, as I already mentioned, James is the earliest book in the New Testament, and it's written by a brother of Jesus, which if you thought you had a rough childhood, (laughs) you haven't experienced anything. Just imagine being the younger brother of Jesus. Well, Jesus always went to bed on time. Jesus always did his chores. Jesus never talked back. (laughs) Jesus never gave us any problem at all. Jesus never snuck out. What's wrong with you? What's wrong, James? Why can't you be more like your brother Jesus? Like, can you imagine what this poor guy went through growing up? constantly, constantly hearing about how his older brother Jesus never did any of the things I'm sure he did. I mean, it couldn't have been an easy childhood for him. And we know from the Gospels that the brothers, they had a rough time with who Jesus was. They, they had a rough time, and it wasn't until later that they came around. But James came around, and he, he wrote this book. He wrote this book to a bunch of Jewish people who'd made the decision to follow Jesus, and now their lives are being changed as a result of following Jesus. Jesus, as our lives should be changed in following Jesus. And then he just jumps right in. That's the, that's the initial sentence. That's like in your email, dear so-and-so, hope this finds you well, hope you're having a great day, you know, what, whatever the case may be. That's, that's the greeting, and now we're getting to the point. And here we go in verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, 
For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So we're wasting no time to just get to the heart of the issue. Count it joy when you face trials. Now, if you're skeptical of this, I understand. And if you're scratching your, if you're scratching your head and saying, how in the world? Count it all joy when you face trials of any kind. I don't know if you're like me, but if I have a choice in life that everything's going to go amazing or everything's going to be a dumpster fire, I'm choosing amazing every single time. That's just the way I'm, that's just the way I'm wired. If I have the choice that everything's going to be fantastic, everything's going to be pleasant, everything's going to go the way I'd want it to go, and it's going to be a dream versus everything can collapse and just, just be as terrible as possible, I'm choosing the first option every single time. I think most people are like that. Some people aren't. Some people like the dumpster fire option. And for those people, there is therapy and, and medication available, and we'd encourage you to do that. But the vast majority of people would say, every time we get the choice, let's take the first option, that I want things to go well. I want things to be pleasurable. I want to experience joy. I want things to be good. So how can we count it as joy when hard times come, how can we be excited about hardship? That makes no sense. This isn't normal. And if you think that way, I understand. I understand why you're thinking that way. Now, let's just understand what we're talking about here. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of various kinds. What this tells us is that hardship in this life is going to attack us from all kinds of directions. Sometimes we're going to experience trouble in this life because of our own choices. Sometimes it's the choices that we've made. Because we've made certain choices, now we find ourselves in a situation that we would not wish for. We find ourselves in a situation we do not like, and the reason we're in a situation we do not like is because we made some bad choices. It's, it's our fault. We made the bad choice, and now there are consequences for those choices, and we find ourselves in a situation that we do not like. Sometimes the hardships that we face in this life are a direct result of the choices that we make. Sometimes the hardship in, that we face in this life is a direct result of the idiots around us. It has nothing to do with us. It's not our fault at all. It's because somebody else is a moron. And because they've made a horrible choice and a horrible life decision, now my life is impacted not because of anything I've done, but because of their stupidity. Now I have to, I have to pay the price because of them. And sometimes in life, we're going to experience hardship because of the choices of somebody else. And sometimes in life, we're going to experience hardship and it's nobody's fault. It's not because we've made a bad choice. It's not because somebody else has made a bad choice. Sometimes in life, we're going to experience hardship just because something happens. It's nobody's fault, but it just happens. So how can we count it as joy 
And we find ourselves in the midst of a horrible reality because of our terrible decisions. And how can we count it as joy when we find ourselves in a horrible situation because of somebody else's poor decisions? And how can we count it as joy when we find ourselves in a situation where it's nobody's fault? We just wish we weren't there. How is this possible? Well, we start to see the answer of that in verse 3. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. The testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Which means the hardship that we experience in this world, when times are tough, when times aren't going well, when times aren't as we wish them to be, those times are a test that reveal to us whether or not our faith is real. Not in the fact that we're experiencing hardship. No, some people would think, well, if I have faith, I shouldn't ever experience any hardship. I shouldn't ever experience any trouble. But that's never been promised to us. In fact, it's just the opposite. Jesus said, if you follow me, you'll have all kinds of trouble. God has never promised us an easy, trouble-free life. And the problem for many is when they make the decision to follow Jesus in their mind, they think they're signing up for something that's going to get them out of ever having a problem again. And as soon as God doesn't live up to some standard that God never promised them, but they've assigned on God for God to live up to, and as soon as God doesn't live up to that standard, they walk away from faith saying, uh uh-uh. And oftentimes they're bitter and they're frustrated at God for failing to live up to a standard that they put on God that God did not put on himself. See, the first way we can count it as joy, the first way we can really get there when we experience hardship, when we experience tough times, the first way we can get there is we understand that ultimately when we are finding ourselves in horrible situations that are incredibly difficult, It is a test of whether or not our faith is true. Not because we've experienced something bad, not because we've experienced the hardship, but because of what it reveals about us and how we respond. And then we're told that real faith transforms. Real faith transforms. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So maybe you've wondered, am I I really... Am I really follower of Jesus? Am I really somebody who, who, who really believes this? Because we can convince ourselves of all kinds of things in our heads and in our hearts. We all know that. Just look at your past breakups. We can convince ourselves of all kinds of things, but in the moment, we're like, that's true, that's true. But when we get some distance from it, we see whether or not that's really true. And one of the things that hard times allow us to see is an accurate indicator of whether or not our faith is real. By whether or not we run from God, denounce God, say, I want nothing to do with with God any longer, or whether we lean in. We lean into our faith, and we rely upon Him. He continues, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all 
His ways. See, hard times reveal our faith, but hard times also reveal our levels of wisdom. They also reveal our levels of wisdom. Everybody who's gone through tough times understands this to be true. Because when we find ourselves in really difficult situations, we have to make decisions. And sometimes everybody looking in can see, that's headed for disaster. That's not going to be good. And if they love you, they'll come tell you that. And if they don't, they just kind of put out the folding chair and just kind of wait for the car wreck. Because everybody can see it coming. And they're just going to watch the carnage that happens. But sometimes in life, we, when we're in hard times, we make decisions that other people don't understand. And they turn out really well. And the reason they don't understand it is because they don't have wisdom. And we do. And the reason that it went, they didn't see it was going to end well is just because they don't have that wisdom. See, hard times reveal. They reveal a lot about our faith, and they reveal a lot about how wise we are. And I understand, we live in a day and age where everybody's an expert on everything. And if you don't believe me, they'll post about it on their YouTube channel. Everybody is an expert about everything. And I just want to caution you, it's okay to not know everything. It's okay to not know everything. It's okay to need help, to ask for help. And if you're not very wise, don't throw in the towel and just think, well, it's over for me. Not very wise. That's just my lot in life. No, what's he, what he says is ask God for wisdom. If you're not very wise, ask God for wisdom. And when you do that, don't be full of doubt. Don't be full of doubt when you ask God for wisdom. And he gives this powerful picture of what it's like to be, to be praying to God for something and yet be full of doubt in that time. To be praying to God for wisdom and yet to be full of doubt in that moment. And he says, if you're full of doubt, you're going to be led in many directions. You're going to be led in all kinds of different directions. You're going to be easily swayed. First, you're going to go this way, then you're going to go that way, then you're going to go this way, then you're going to go that way, all because your wisdom isn't at the level it needs to be, all because you haven't asked God for wisdom and, and just, not, just not asked God without this immense level of doubt in your mind. And the picture he gives is like the wind. It's driving the waves. When I was younger, my family liked to go to the beach for vacation, which is fine. I am never been a fan of heat. Uh, that's why I live in northeast Wisconsin now, and I'm not really sure what's going on these last three days other than God's given us all a prequel to hell, uh, but they've been absolutely miserable, and um, I, I just am ready for the 70s. Like, I like the 70s. That's, that's nice. Enough with the 90s. The beach, it's a little hotter. And so I would hang out under the umbrella on the beach, and uh, then I'd bathe myself in, in suntan lotion because, let's be honest, I'm so pasty, I glow. And after about 15 minutes in the sun, I become a lobster. It's just, my, it's just the way God made me. I don't know what to tell you. But after a while of being under the umbrella, I'd get bored, and then I'd run in to the ocean. When I was little... I'd grab my dad's hand, and we'd jump waves together. And as we were jumping a wave, the wave won. I mean, it just knocked me over face first into the wave, got the salt water in my eyes, just took a giant drink of ocean water, 
which is just, if you've never taken a drink of ocean water, go to the ocean and just take a giant drink of ocean water. Not because it's going to help you in any way. It's not. Your throat's going to taste all salty and burnt. You're going to have this weird sensation that works its way up into your nose, uh, but then at least you'll know what I'm talking about. So if you've never had the privilege of doing this, I'd highly recommend it just so you know. Uh, but it'll be a horrible experience. So I got up, and after I finally stopped crying from the salt water in the eyes and the, the taste in my mouth, I'm like, what's wrong with you, Dad? And he said, Son, I, I, I couldn't help it. The wave knocked you over. And I'm like, well, you need to control the waves. And he's like, I can't control the waves, son. And I looked at him like, well, then you need to be stronger, Dad. And now I know where my youngest gets it. It's, uh, it's, it's my fault. But I was so mad that my dad couldn't control the waves. And he couldn't keep me up. And this is the picture that James gives of somebody who calls out to God and asks for wisdom, but is doubting every step of the way. And they're saying, hey, God, would you grant me wisdom? But they're unsure that God will fulfill that request. And I think this is not just a picture for when we pray and ask God for wisdom, but this is really a picture that God wants us to understand when we pray, to, to set our hearts and our minds on the things that we desire, knowing that He is God and He's able, and if it's, if it's asked according to His will, He will do it. And to stop wavering, to stop fighting, to stop going back and forth like a wave being driven by the wind. It's okay if you find yourself at a point right now where you don't know how you're going to handle life. It's okay if you find yourself in a circumstance, in a situation where you don't have the solution. It's okay to not have every answer. It's okay to not know everything. All those things are okay. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to front. You don't, you don't have to put up this, this air or this pretense about you. And I know our culture says be an expert at everything. But what Scripture tells us here is if you don't have wisdom, meaning there are some people who aren't very wise. Not that I have to qualify that. We all know them. They're in our heads right now, exactly who we're thinking of. But if you're one of those people, ask God for it. See, hard times reveal our faith, reveal our wisdom. And then this seems like an interesting detour as he continues to go on. When he writes, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Now, this seems really interesting on the heels of what we've just been talking about, on the heels of hard times and on the heels of wisdom. Now it seems like we've introduced this theme of class warfare out of nowhere. It seems like God hates the rich. Why? What does James mean here? And if you're a little lower on the economic scale, you might not have a problem with this. You might even like it a little bit. You might be like, yeah! Until you realize you live in America. So globally, you're in the top 25% of wealth automatically. What's he mean? Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Well, this is a sobering reminder that our standing in life and our wealth 
they do not exempt us from suffering. They don't exempt us from suffering. And they don't make us any more desired by God. They may make us more desired by some people in our society, but they don't make us more desired by God. And so the hope for the poor, the hope for the poor is in the promise to come. It's not in this life. And as they experience hardship, which they certainly will, they can be encouraged. Because this life is not all there is. And the promise of God and the promise of things to come is cause for them to rejoice. That they can rejoice in that. And for the rich... who all made the point, all, all made it to the point where they understand, I don't know what they want from me. It's like the more money we got, the more problems we see. When, they, when they've reached that point and they understand that, some of you are scratching your heads right now, Google it later. But like, uh, how, how can that be? What it, this is a sobering reminder for the rich that all of the wealth and all the security, the portfolios, the properties, Everything that gives, that gives a feeling of, of arrival or accomplishment in this world, it's all temporal. And everything that's been worked so hard for, even in the most incredible estates and empires that have ever been built, can be taken in an instant. And the picture that is used is like a flower of the grass. that every flower will die. And the sun, as it beats down on the grass, it will wither the grass. And so for the rich, the call is to rejoice even in times of difficulty, even in times of hardship, that you can rejoice because it is a reminder to you that your security and your value and your worth was never ever truly derived by all that you've acquired. It was never derived by all that you've achieved. And if you lose it all, that's okay. Because the promise of God has always been greater than the security your finances would provide. It reminds what's really eternal and what really matters. And now we get to the perspective. We get to the perspective of how even in these hard times, we can be people who are full of joy. Blessed is the man, verse 12 says, who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say... When he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And now we're given the perspective. 
that hard times reveal our faith, they reveal our wisdom, they reveal what our trust is in, whether or not it's in what we've acquired, whether or not it's in our assets. But it goes on here, and it gives us perspective. Blessed, is, blessed are those who remain faithful. Blessed are those who remain faithful. Why? Because it shows that you had faith. It shows your faith was genuine. Blessed are those who remain faithful, not those who throw in the towel at the sign of trouble, turn their back on God, say, I'm over it, I quit, I don't believe in God, I want nothing to do with God, all because of these hard times came. No, 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 no. Blessed are those who remain steadfast, who endure the times of trouble that we're all going to experience and all going to endure and are not shaken to their core. Blessed are they. What's the next piece of perspective that we need? Well, the next is we need to stop blaming God for our bad decisions. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. Stop blaming God for for your bad choices. It's not God's fault. It's yours. And lastly, is that desire gives birth to sin, which leads to death. That within all of us, is the propensity to desire things that ultimately are not good for us. We want them because they feel good and they look good and they seem good on the surface, but at their core, they are not good for us. And that is within all of us. And that's the perspective that we need. And then he wraps up this part by writing this. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. What is he talking about here? He says, remember, remember this. Even in all the trouble, even in all the trouble that we will experience in this life, we will also experience good. Even in all the trouble we'll experience in this life, we will also experience good and remember where every good thing comes from. Every single good thing in this world comes from God. It's where it originates. He's one of the greatest to ever play the game. He's still talked about. A Hall of Famer, a world champion. At one point, he had a streak that many thought would never be broken until Cal Ripken came along. Lou Gehrig was a phenomenal baseball player on some of the best baseball teams that have ever played. And while I hate the Yankees, you have to respect what they accomplished. What's interesting is Lou Gehrig is probably best known for the fact that he had what we refer to now as Lou Gehrig's disease. The disease that would end his consecutive game streak played. The disease that would make the Hall of Famer retire from baseball. The disease that would ultimately lead to his death. Shortly after he discovered the news that his career was over, He stood in Yankee Stadium and gave not just one of the most famous speeches in sports of all time, but gave one of the most famous speeches in history. When he stood at the mic and he looked out at the crowd in Yankee Stadium and he said, Today, I consider myself the luckiest man in the face of the earth. 
The first time I saw that speech was as a little kid. And it made no sense to me. I'd ask my parents. I'd ask teachers occasionally when I had to do a project in speech. I'd, I'd ask people about it, and I'd ask to, them to explain it to me. How could somebody whose career is being taken from them, how is somebody who's got a disease that there is no cure for, how can somebody who's having to walk away from all of this stand behind a mic and say, today I consider myself the luckiest man in the face of the earth. And they would try to explain it to me, but I was convinced they were all lying, that there was no good explanation for it, and it was all just empty theatrics. That's what I thought for the longest time. Till a couple of months ago when my wife got sick. And I promise I'm not going to talk about this all the time. But it made sense to me. Because as we were given a diagnosis we would never want for or wish upon ourselves, we felt the love and the support of this community, of this church, of church communities we've served in previously of friends, of family, of friends of family, of friends of friends we've never met and wouldn't have never met if it weren't for what we were going through. And all of a sudden, it made sense to me how Lou Gehrig could stand behind that microphone and on that day consider himself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. And in so many ways, I hope you never have to experience it. But in some ways, I wish you could. It's never made sense to me how we do funerals. How people stand up and half the time will say glowing things that they never even told the person before they died. love and support and encouragement that we've experienced in the midst of something we would never choose. I understand how Luke Garrett could stand behind that microphone. And Lakeside, here's the deal. That's what we're all about. Scripture tells us, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. See, being part of the church is more than just showing up. It's being part of a community. It's being an active part in people's lives. It's being the people that come around and when you get the promotion and when your baby's born and when you've got the good news of graduation, we celebrate with you. And when you've got the bad news, when you're dealt the tough hand, we rally around you. We celebrate with those who celebrate and we mourn with those who mourn. And that's what we have been called to be. And I'm telling you, the hard times are going to come. The hard times are going to come in every single one of our lives. And one of the ways to make it easier it's not to walk through it alone but of people who walk beside you every step of the way 
And as long as I have the privilege to lead Lakeside, this will be a church where we welcome the hypocrite. It will be a church where we welcome the seeker. It will be a church where we welcome the person who's followed Jesus for 50 years. Because everyone deserves the opportunity to live and serve and be part of a community that helps them move one step closer to Jesus. And God oftentimes uses the hard times. And that's why we need one another. Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you for using even the most difficult circumstances and situations that we experience to make us and mold us and change us and shape us. Lord, I pray for the person who's walking right now through a hard time. And I pray that they won't do that alone. I pray, God, it would be a blessing to them because they could see their faith, their wisdom, be reminded of what really matters, be given a new perspective. God, as we strive to be a place where people can come and be part of something so much bigger, I just pray, God, that we would never lose sight of the fact that everyone needs you and everyone needs others. So, Jesus, we ask you to work in us, around us, through us, and in spite of us for your glory. In your name we pray.